check that out and see if we're working. Uh, disclaimer this morning, um, I have no plastic bags, bottles of Coke or pencils, so I do apologise. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's all good. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We can sit in your presence again. Lord, I just ask that the, the word that is shared this morning, Lord God, this would be your heart. I pray, Lord, for obedience to what you've put on my heart to share this day. Lord, I just pray that it is your message. Just take control of, of these words. Be the sower, Lord God, with the seeds. And I pray for good soil, that each and every one of us would respond to your word and your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this week's this week's been a big week. Uh, there's been a lot that's going on. Uh, for those people who are school teachers in the room, you're now at a point where you have hit collapse mode. Yes, Jack, I see that hand. Um, and I certainly share that sentiment. School holiday break. Um, it's been very full on semester. It always is. Uh, but it's always very, very rewarding. But of course, one of the biggest events of this week, uh, I do refer, of course, to Wednesday night and the wonderful efforts that went into that. It was awesome. We are praying for you, Lester. It's fine. Um, and uh, reflected on Wednesday night, being here on Wednesday night with the people who are here, watching the wonderful come from behind, you know, Queensland-inspired victory, uh, the absolute passion and excitement that was in the room, um, the amount of damage that was done to the chairs at the back by Brendan and Justin, myself. Um, it's all right, I know the guy that would usually fix them anyway. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> but it was full on. And uh, the excitement that was there and Thurston converted that final score and I turned around and I got bear-hugged by Brendan, who's twice my size. I went, whoa, this is awesome. We're having a great time. And uh, once it all calmed down and we left and we went home and I was reflecting about all of it. And I thought this truckload of passion in that room for 80 minutes of football. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, what they did was amazing and, and there were some special things, but the game is finished. And I thought about this and I thought, okay, I can demonstrate that much intensity and that much passion for my team. I need to put it in perspective, where is that same passion for my God? And so I want to take the moment this morning just to reflect on just reminding myself, reminding each and every one of us, I guess, just who God is. Who, who is this God that we serve? And I know for myself, I need to take those moments of stopping and going, what is it that I do? Why is it that I do? Why is it that I worship? Who is it that I worship? So we're going to look today at who is God. So I hope you have a packed lunch. You've got afternoon tea because it could take a while. Um, now I've been told I need to keep it down, so it's all good. 
But the reality is if we want to explore this in its complexity and, and everything that is about God, we can't do it. That's an impossible task. It's an impossible task. So just a few key things that I want to try and deal with this morning. And then I want to look at some of the responses that, that we deal with. And again, responses, we tend to talk about responses in church about, you know, God is reaching out to you, brother, how are you going to respond to him? But it's often, at, it's often aimed at those people who don't yet know God. And I want to think this morning about what is our response? What response do we have to God? We who sit here and, and, and have that or claim that relationship with him, and, and yet what do we do with our day? How do we respond to God? So let's have a go at having a look at some of the aspects here, shall we? And of course, the number one thing that came to me when I reflected on this was our creator God. He is our creator God. He created something out of nothing. It wasn't evolution. It was deliberate design. It was deliberate design. And you read about it in the whole creation story. There was no accident. And the deeper that you explore into the details of his creation, the more you realize that the detail just keeps on going. And you get under a microscope and you look at what's there and the detail keeps on going and you start to break apart those smaller atoms and molecules and the detail just keeps on going. There isn't a point that you can delve down into where it's like, okay, well, this is just here. This hasn't been thought about. Everything to the minuscule has a deliberate design detail to it. We had a speaker here a few months ago about creation science. Um, If you've never delved into some of the stuff that they're talking about, go and have a look at it because some of what they've got there Talking about the design nature of God is absolutely amazing. If you haven't delved into it, it will blow your mind. But it is beyond understanding, and in some cases, it is beyond description. And in fact, what we call science is just simply uh, unlocking and discovering what God has already put in place. It's already there. And science comes up and goes, we've got this great discovery. No, no. You just worked another facet out about God's design. That's all it is. These great scientific discoveries are not a creation of man. It is an understanding, finally, of a new aspect of God's creation. How amazing is that? This is the God we serve. And his response to everything, of course, again, you read in the Genesis story, it was good. What he has created is good. God does not make mistakes. There are no mistakes in this room. That is the God you serve. That is the God I serve. How often do we question him? This same creator God that put all this detail into our life. I know how many times I do. I lost count. The next aspect, of course, is a saviour God. And this is probably the most reflected upon part and nature of God. And giving up his heavenly form for human form, coming to earth as, as, as a person of Jesus. Of course, the first Christmas, it's only six months away. Oh, I said that out loud. Sorry, guys. Because it's true. It's you know, six months today. Yep. All right. But... That's what we celebrate then, that God made that sacrifice, 
came to earth, came as the lowest of the low, and was willing to give his life for ours. That's the whole reason he came. He came for no other purpose than to make sure that we could have a restored relationship with the Father. He was willing to do that. He was willing to do that for you. Because he wants to hang out. He wanted to hang out with you. And that particular relationship could not happen without his intervention. Greatest single event in history. Jesus came into our world in human form. And I often forget that this effort, that this uh, action, this situation that occurred was undeserved on my part. I didn't deserve that. I've done nothing to earn that relationship with God. He's come looking for me. How often do we live in a world where we function with this sense of entitlement? We see it every single day. I teach uh, in a school with kids who reflect that all of the time, the sense of entitlement, but I should be, but I should have. And this action that God placed into history just for us is not something we're entitled to. It was his passion and his love for you and I. I've reflected lately upon uh, another aspect of God, which is his sovereignty, the royalty, a royal God, King of kings, Lord of lords. This was declared from the very beginning, the first angel that came to Mary. And Luke 1, he declares, it says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. We worship a king. And I think sometimes in Australia we struggle with that. We, how, do, how, do you, how do you interact with the king? How do you interact with royalty? We've got a little bit of acknowledgement of, of a queen of England, which is half a world away. But how do you, how do you give reverence to, to royalty? Everything, when, when, when royalty was really the central focus of everything in society, everything was done in the king's name. Everything was done in the king's name. That was your authority point. I do this in the king's name. Nothing, no other thought ever surpassed the will of the king. Nothing else. If the king willed it, you didn't overrule that. That was what happened. Royalty was always deserving of honour and homage regardless of whether they earned it or not. This is the God we serve. Think about just for a moment. Jesus had not entered history. Is God still worthy of being praised? And the answer is yes. Because he is God. Because he is still king. Because he is still Lord. If Jesus had not done what he'd done, and yet God is still worthy of all of our praise, how much more then 
How much more then does that increase when, when Jesus then ended history just for us? So our society expects people to do something before we actually give them respect. I know I've, I've spoken to my own kids as well. If you want to be respected, you make sure you earn it. Make sure you do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But God is worthy of praise because he is God. Because he is God. Of course, we have the opposites in society as well, where we bestow honor and praise upon people who haven't earned it. And if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, go and look for the latest YouTube sensation. Everybody's liking this person. What have they really done? What have they really done? Now, again, I, I mentioned this morning that looking at the traits of God, you know, this is tip of the iceberg stuff. We could go for hours and hours and hours. But I want to look at what our responses are. How do we respond to this God? How do we respond to this Creator? How do we respond to this Savior? How do we respond to this absolute epitome of royalty? And there are many different ways in which we can do this. And and they're listed out through God's Word. They're listed out in the Bible. And I want to touch on a couple of these today. Some of these things that I've found I've challenged myself with and gone, do I do this and do I do this too often? And the first one is fear. Do we actively chase after the things of God for our life? Do we really do it? I know there's lots of times when we say we do, but do we really, really honestly, truly chase after the things of God for our life? Sometimes I think the first question comes up of, what does that actually mean for my world? If I'm going to allow God to do what he needs to do in my life, what is it going to mean? What's it going to mean for my comfort zone? What's it going to mean for my bubble? How is he going to change it all? And we forget, of course, just exactly who God is. That he is a creator, he is the designer, he is the saviour, he is the king of kings. You look in the Exodus story, around about chapter 19 and 20, and you can read through uh, the Israelites have just come out of Egypt, they've gotten to Mount Sinai, And God teased Moses up and said, I am going to appear before the people. I'm going to come down in a cloud. I'm going to make a bit of noise. We need to keep the people with their distance to start with. And he set it out. Now, this is the same people who just witnessed the plagues of Egypt. They'd witnessed the Egyptian people who got on God's bad side. It didn't touch them. That's a miracle in itself. It only got the Egyptian people, 10 different plagues, same people who've witnessed the parting of the Red Sea, same people who are receiving manna and and the quail. This is amazing. This is amazing. And God comes and says, I'm going to appear before you because I want to draw you into myself. This is the entire reason why you even came out of Egypt in the first place. This is what it was for. And what is their response? Their response is simply this. They turn around to Moses and say, we're not going near him. You need to go for us. Have you ever imagined how God felt? He set this up. Can you ever imagine how God felt 
when his people turned around and said, I'm sorry, we're not, we're not going near you. You can talk to Moses and no one else. I know how I'd feel if I was God. I'd be absolutely devastated. And I think some of this is simply because they hadn't taken the time to get to know their actual God. They hadn't taken the time to know God. They hadn't taken the time to know that God is love, that God wants the best for them. We have that opportunity with the relationship that Jesus has for us. We have the opportunity to know God, to know him intimately, to know the purposes and the plans that he has for each and every one of us. We have that opportunity. And we have times in our life where God says, I need you to do this. And the first thought is fear. The same God that wants nothing more than to hang out with you and I. And our first thought is, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not drawing near to that. We forget passages like Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Are you called? Do you love God? Because what he would do in your life is going to work for your good. You may not understand it. It may feel uncomfortable at the time. But look at the criteria. All things, not part. God works for the good of those who love him. If you love God, he is working for your good in every circumstance. Every single circumstance. It says all. There's no provisos, there's no conditions. All. Even those moments that feel uncomfortable, even those moments we don't understand. If you love God and if you, you are called, that's the condition. He is working for your good. Another response. This one's a little bit more difficult to identify, but I've labeled it as indifference. And I don't often think that this is a deliberate decision. On the contrary, I think it's in absence of deliberate decision on our part. That the idea of following God and worshipping God becomes day-to-day -day routine. Yep, I'm in church on Sunday. Yep, worship team's got, yeah, I know that song. Oh, I don't know that one. I'll just wait it out to the end and we'll get to the next one that I do know. And we leave church and, oh, that was great. You know, I appreciated the message and, all right, back into the day. And the only thing, as I said, I could label it as just indifference. What choice have we made? You know, what have we done about our relationship with God? Are we taking it seriously? Are we investing ourselves? Are we investing our time, our emotions, our will into a relationship with the Almighty God? It's got to be more than routine. It's got to be real and it's got to be genuine. I've spent some time over the last uh, little while reading through um, First and Second Kings. What an extremely sad time in Israel's history. What a sad time. 
Here is a people who have had their own history passed down through generation. I don't think there's another culture that does it better than, than these guys do. And the promises of God and the, the restoration of God to their promised land and everything that he wants them to do, and it's all been passed down. And they get to a point where they still want to do things their own way. You look in 1 Samuel, and uh, Samuel's starting to get a bit older. People aren't happy with his sons and the job they're doing, so their solution is, we want a king. And if you read the reason, we want a king like all the other nations. We want to look like everybody else. That was not God's plan. So here is a loving God who's protected them, looked after them, nurtured them, provided for them. They have an entire history of it. We want to look like everybody else. That's where their kingdom came from. And of course, we know the history they went through. They had a couple of good kings. Well, they had David. Solomon started out really well. It fell over. And then the kingdom split. If you read through the account of First and Second Kings and all of the kings of Israel, which was the northern kingdom, not one king there is listed as good. They share the same history. They share the same promises. They share the same care and concern from their God, except they ignored him. I'm going to do this my own way. Not one king in Israel is listed as having a heart after God. Not one king is listed as being good. Judah's king's lineup is a little bit more improved. There are a number in there. But uh, some of the things that saddened me about that is the good king, whose son was one of the worst. That's a whole exploration for another time. But where, where is the depth that is there? The other places as well, they were good, they followed God, but they left the high places to the other gods intact. So they didn't completely do everything they could. There was elements in their world that they left intact, not surrendered, not focused to God. And it's great to look through this list and go, yes, this king was good and followed God, but... They didn't take care of business. There was only one or two that ever did. And then the following king who was bad put them back up again. All the high places to these other gods. And I think with our own world, okay, so what are we doing? How does this relate then to our own world? We allow the concerns of our world to become our other gods. And we leave the high places to these other gods intact. Yes, I follow God, but... Not here. I follow God, but I'm struggling with this person at work and I'm going to choose to worry and I'm going to choose to fret and I really don't like them and so I'm going to choose to gossip somewhere else and I'm not going to let God take care of this for me. We leave some of these things. My, my following of God is genuine. My heart and my love for God is genuine. But I've left that intact. Sometimes our, our faith and our following of God needs to be a little bit more of a deliberate choice. Have I really done this? Have I surrendered to God? Am I really 
giving all I can to him? Do I remember who this same God is? This creator God, this sovereign God, this saviour God who loves me, cares for me, and I am the number one purpose in his life. The next response that I just want to quickly look at is one that I struggle with big time. And this is a response of justice. We are right because God is right and the world is wrong. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, a few honest people, that's great. I think it's it's very easy for us to sit here and go, we have the answers. God says it this way, so it's right. We disregard the world. You must be wrong. I think we forget sometimes that God is a God of love. We forget other times as well that the rest of the world, the rest of society doesn't have our same understanding. We have been blessed. We have been uh, we've had our eyes open to the Spirit, to the ways of God, because we've accepted His love, His forgiveness. But His Word talks about, and Paul talks about in Corinthians, the fact that not everybody's going to get that. So what, have we, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, of, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And he cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So our understanding that we have of a worldview of this is what God wants Sometimes I think we expect that everybody should understand that. And they're not always going to. If we approach other people from a spirit of correction instead of a spirit of love, we're not necessarily doing God justice. Of course, the, the, one of the most famous uh, passages is in Matthew, which is the idea of the speck of sawdust. And we concentrate on that one tiny little element in our brother. And we do this within our own house, within our own family, within our own friends. It doesn't have to be believers and non-believers. And I'm going to concentrate on that one insignificant little thing that is just annoying me and I'm going to tell you how it's wrong. And it says to remove the plank in your own eye, to do that first. That's a hard thing to look at. It's a hard thing to look at. I've had people who've talked to me in the past and gone, I need to fix this person. I'm really angry about it. And I can be angry about it because I can look in the Bible and Jesus was angry. And he went through the Bible and through the temple and he cleared out all the money lenders and he was angry. And I, I want to take that same approach. And I reflected on that and went, okay, well, let's have a look at this for a moment. Who was Jesus actually angry with? He was angry with people who should have known better. He was angry with people who worked at the temple. They should have been following the ways of God. They should have known better. That's why Jesus had that righteous anger against them. 
Did he show that same anger against those people who didn't know his ways? Now, that doesn't mean you can turn around the person next to you and go, right, you should know God's ways, I'm going to have a go at you. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. But my own concentration, I come back to this every time, is again, it's, it's that balance up between the little thing I find wrong with someone else and the work that I know God has to do in me. It takes a lot of sawdust to create a complete log. God wants me to deal with the log that I have, not the sawdust speck I find with someone else. We are not perfect. But we need to keep coming back to that same creator God. What is my response to God? What has he done in my life? This is the God who loves me. This is the God who created in minuscule detail his entire creation just for me to enjoy. This is the same God who wants a relationship with me. So the last response, and this is the end of the day, this is the only one that makes sense, is a response to God out of passion and out of love. And that same passion I referred to at the beginning of when I started, the, you know, the major Queensland victory is amazing. That game's done. And in a few months' time, for those of us who follow the rugby league, our passions will turn to the finals. And which team did my team make the grand final? And then it's going to be done. And then again, we move a couple of months on and the cricket season starts again and we can get right into that for those who follow it. These things do not last. These things do not last. We encourage you to remember what God has done for you. Remember all that God has done for you. And I don't know about you, but if I was to sit down and list it, I don't think I could remember everything. There are too many things and too many ways that God blesses me on a daily basis. You, you would be the same if you gave yourself time to think about it. Remember that what he has done is undeserved. Remember that what he has done for me and done for you is unconditional. Unconditional. Remember that what he has done is eternal. It has eternal ramifications. We challenge you about, isn't that worthy of putting your passions into? Isn't that worthy of your time? I'm going to ask the worship team just to pop up if they could, please. And as they're coming, just a, a reflection, of course, we, we talk about David in the Bible, a man after God's heart. He has his issues. We all know about them. What was his response to his God? Hymns of joy. Acknowledgement of God through all of his honest struggles. It was a passion in the everyday for his God. It was a passion in the everyday for his God. He recognized that without his God, he was nothing. Without his God, he would not succeed. 
and he was sold out. Everything about this is what I need for my God. So as we take some time this morning just to, to worship and to conclude, I challenge with you, how will you respond? Do you recognize in your world those things that God has done for you? Do you recognize what has happened? And I encourage you this day, make that response. Make that heart passion to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we cannot begin, cannot begin to list out the blessings that you've placed in each and every one of us. And Lord, despite our best efforts, we cannot comprehend the absolute detail in the plan that you have for each and every one of our lives. But Lord God, if we are honest, there is only one response. And that is thankfulness. Just a love for you as, as much as we can muster. And a thankfulness, Lord God, that you have done so much in our world that is so undeserved. And we are very grateful. So Lord God, just speak to each and every one of our hearts this day. Remind us again of the love you have for us. Renew in us again, Lord God, that first love for you. Help us, Lord God, to find that reconnect. Help us, Lord God, to worship you in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, so that by our love, others will know that it is you we follow, that others will be drawn to it because of the love that you have for us and we to you. Lord God, just be in our heart and our minds this day, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.